great to have you guys here. I want to say hello to all of our campuses real quick. Thanks for being a part of our services. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys. We love you guys. Grateful for you. Some of our fastest growing campuses right now are behind the walls of prisons. Isn't that amazing? People are breaking the law to get in this church. I'm telling you right now. It's incredible. We love you guys. Just know that. And so, so thankful for you. And it's neat to see God's really doing a lot of great stuff right now. Right now in San Antonio, that building is going up. They almost have it sealed in. How great is that? Getting closer and closer. Looks amazing right off the highway, right off 281. If you haven't checked it out, you got to drive by and see it. It's amazing. And then Rockport is breaking ground as well. How exciting is that? So yeah, keeping, a, keeping our promise. And so I'm excited to be keeping our promise to that city that we're going to rebuild and continue to reach that city. So great things are happening. Really proud of Pastor Nick, by the way, in Rockport and prison ministry. He's, he straddles both. He does both of those. That's incredible. God does a lot of work for us and for the church and so grateful for him. We have so many, so many great staff members here and wasn't communion special? Isn't it great to be able to do that together as a church and just to have that time with God? I love communion weekends. So, so special and I'm looking forward to the next service to having communion with my family as well and in service, and so look forward to doing that. But today we're jumping back into our lies that we believe, and I thought Pastor uh, Marcus did a great job last week. Was that not a powerful message just on <laughs> complacency? Wow. I love Pastor Marcus because he's so calm when he preaches, and then he just punches you right in the face. You're like, well, I didn't see that coming. You know what I mean? Like, this is what he does. He, like, he puts you in that sleeper, and you're like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, and then bam, you know? So I love having him share, and he does such a great job. And so, but today I want to talk about three different lies. This is our conclusion for the Lies That We Believe series, and uh, there are three more lies that we typically fall into, and I think these affect every one of us. I want to encourage you to grab something to write with and to grab the note sheet in your bulletin. I want to give you some things to write down today as we dive right in. Let's, let's, as you get your notes out, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for being here today. Thank you for recording your favorite team uh, in March Madness and being at church. And so we appreciate that. It will be waiting for you when you get home. And so, but I want to jump right into our very first lie that people typically fall into. And I've heard this lie a lot from a lot of people uh, when I'm counseling someone, talking with someone, uh, whenever I, I'm, I'm dealing with students, when I'm dealing with adults, you name it, I hear this lie a lot, and I have said this lie as well and, and believed it in my life at times. And so here is the lie that we typically fall for. Check this out. Would you write this one down? It's just too hard to do the right thing. We fall for this, don't we? It's just, Pastor, it's, it's just too hard nowadays in today's day and age. It's just too hard to be pure. It's just not gonna happen. It's just too hard. It's just too hard not to cheat. It's just too hard not to cheat in school. It's just too hard not to cheat on your spouse. It's just too hard to, to not pop off. It's just too hard to, to, to have a moral compass in today's world. It's just too hard to do the right thing. We typically fall for this in, in one area or another, but the Bible says something total opposite. So this is how we know it's a lie is when the Word of God unveils the real truth. And this is what it says in Scripture. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation... In other words, the temptation to do something wrong, right? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. There it is. So that uncovers the truth is that even though you think, oh, I just, I just can't overcome this. God says, yeah, you can. I don't ever let anything come into your life that you don't have the power to overcome. And that good? God basically is letting you know that it may be tough, but you have the power. You have the strength. In fact, if it seems tough, 
Could it be that it's because you have untapped strength you don't know you have? And you won't know you have that unless you have something in your life that requires more of you than you've ever used before. But it doesn't mean you can't overcome it. It just means you haven't done that yet, but you have the power to do it. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're stronger than you think. Just let them know. You're stronger than you think. You have more power than you think. You, you, you can do this, but oftentimes you don't think you can. So it says, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Now, this is important. It says that the temptation you face is common. We oftentimes think, oh, but what I'm dealing with, no one in the world's dealt with. That's just not even close to true. What you're facing is actually common stock sin. It's just this off the shelf, it's retail value temptation. Everyone faces that. So before you say, well, oh, you don't know the temptation I'm facing, man. You don't know the girl in my office. Oh yeah, like there's never been a girl tempting someone in their office before. Oh, you don't know the temptation I'm, I'm dealing with at school. I mean, there's so much peer pressure. Oh yeah, no one's ever had peer pressure before. Like we're pretending like what we're facing is so unique when it's truly not. It's just, it's the stuff everyone faces. Everyone would like to cheat on their taxes. Everyone would like to just go prayerless and just blow off God at times. Everyone would like to just choose to be lazy. I mean, who doesn't deal with that? Who doesn't deal with the temptation to just sit in front of TV and veg rather than handling your business? Rather than actually, you know, how many of us just wanna let Disney Channel raise our kids rather than us actually getting involved? The truth is, is that there's always temptations like that. The things we face are the things everyone faces. I'm not trying to blow it off. I'm not trying to say it can't be tough. I'm just trying to say we all deal with it. But here's what's amazing. So we all deal with common off-the-shelf temptation, but yet then it says God is faithful, but he will provide you a way out. So this is cool. So all temptation is pretty standard practice, but God's way of escape is personalized for you. How cool is that? So he gets personally involved giving you an escape route. When I talk to people who have fallen into sin, oftentimes I'll say, was there a moment when you had a fleeting choice? Was there just a, a quick moment when you thought, mm, should I? Should I maybe not do this? Was there that moment? And every time, somewhere before things really came off the rails for them, they'll say, yeah, yeah, I had that moment and I blew it off. So you did have a moment. You did have an opportunity to escape, but you chose differently. The truth is, is that God doesn't let anything come into your life that you can't handle, whether it be temptation or just a difficult thing that you gotta deal with in your life. We have the power, we have the strength, God has equipped us with that. But how many of us have said, well, if, if God, if you'll just give me more power, I could overcome this problem. If you'll just give me more strength, I could overcome this temptation. But see, here's actually how the, it works in the Word of God. It, it's pretty clear. In fact, Jesus, when he faced temptation in, in the wilderness, he was literally hungry, he's tired, he's worn out. That's the hardest time when you're tempted and you overcame it. It says that after he overcame his temptation, then the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him. So power comes after you obey, not before which means that you already have all the power you need to obey. If you'll just do that, then you get more power. So it's, it's actually the opposite of what we think. Well, oh God, if you'll just give me the power, then I could overcome this. But God's saying back to us, you mean basically let me just make the decision for you? As if you, you don't need to grow? But you grow by making the right choices. See guys, greatness is made in the moment. Greatness is made in the moment when you choose to do the right thing, when everything in you wants to do the wrong thing. That's when greatness is really made in our lives. I want to show you something about the Apostle Paul. It says in Romans 8, a very popular scripture. In fact, this is my father's favorite verse, and that's why I always remember it. But Romans 8, 31 says this, if God is for us, no one can defeat us. 
or in a translation my father told me about, if God is for us, who can be against us? How many of you guys know that verse? I love that verse. It's such a powerful scripture. But, but we forget the context in which Paul was writing. So this is what he actually says. If God is for us, no one can defeat us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all. So with Jesus, God will surely give us all things. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ that, that Christ has for us? Can troubles or problems or sufferings or hunger or nakedness or danger or violent death, as it is written in the scriptures, for you are in danger of death, all, for you, excuse me, we are in danger of death all the time. Paul says, hey, my life is threatened all the time. I'm regularly, daily threatened. Wow, I don't know about you, but I don't get threats every day, do you? I've had a few here and there over 20 years. I have not had it daily, thank the Lord. I mean, can you imagine this? He says, for you, we are in danger of death all the time. People think we are worth no more than sheep to be killed. See, Paul understood what real persecution is. See, we think we're persecuted in, in our country in today's day and time. Oh, I'm persecuted. Someone wrote something bad about me on Facebook. That's not persecution. That's an opinion. <laughs> Don't confuse that. That is actually not real persecution. Persecution is when you're about to be killed for your faith or you are killed for your faith. And don't tell me that's not real when we have over 120 Christians that have been killed in the last month for their faith. Oh, oh the media's not going to tell you that because that didn't fit the narrative. But that's what's going on. I don't know if you're aware of that. Did you know that? Christians are dying right now for their faith. And yet we wuss out on the simplest things when people are dying for their faith. The reason I want to bring this up, because this is not only a lie, but this is going to keep you soft. And so I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you with something. I want to challenge you to face hard things directly. Do the work. Put in the time, save rather than spend, give and sacrifice rather than take. No more lazy days, don't get soft. It's time to toughen up in our faith. We have more in us. We have more strength in us. You know, Apostle Paul wrote the scripture, in fact, half of the New Testament he wrote from prison. So the Apostle Paul was used the greatest by God. He wrote half the New Testament because he had to, because he didn't get what he wanted. So sometimes you not getting what you wanted is more the will of God than anything else. Amen. See, it's all, oh, I wanna worship the Lord and I wanna honor him, yeah, when things are going good, but do you keep your hands up when things are going bad? Will you worship God when he doesn't feel close? Will you worship God when you don't get your weight, when you don't get the raise, when you don't get the promotion, when things aren't going well, when you stay sick rather than getting healed? Will you still worship God when things aren't great in your life? Because that's when you really show who you are. Is who you are when things are not going well, are you still faithful to God? See, we can be faithful to God when things are going good. I mean, you know, most people don't have to sign up and, 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 and commit to being faithful during their honeymoon. That's kind of easy to be faithful then. Can you be faithful 20 years in? Can you be faithful 30 years in? Can you be faithful when someone gets sick? Can you be faithful when that mortgage keeps coming around? Can you be faithful when the kids are acting up? Can you stay faithful when it's tough? See, everyone can be faithful to God as long as he keeps just dishing out stuff for us. But when you're all about God giving you more stuff, you're seeking his hand, not his face. God wants us to seek his face, who his very character is. And the truth is, is that we gotta learn that sometimes God wants us just to do it hard. He wants us to do the hard thing. There was a study back in 1986 done uh, about the way that kids are raised in Japan versus America. And they asked mothers one simple question from Japan and also from America. And the question was, please rank the most important things that a child needs to be successful academically. Surprise, surprise, mothers in America said, well, they need ability. But mothers in Japan said they need effort. 
Guess who has better grades? See, we have a problem in our culture. We think that everyone who's good at something just has ability, but we forget that a lot of people have ability, but when you see someone at a high level, they have developed ability. They've taken the talents they have and they have worked hard with that talent. And we have gotten away from this. We're all about that overnight success, but I have yet to find an overnight success. The truth is overnight success, there's still about 10 years worth of work. We forget this in our culture and we wonder why it eludes us. Because we have a culture today that thinks somehow work is not what we need to be about when the truth is, is that work is a gift from God. Work is a wonderful gift from God, but we want everything for free. No wonder socialism is popular today. Oh, and by the way, it's popular by everyone young. You know why? They're broke. So it's popular to say, I'll vote for you to give me your money. But guess what? If it's so great, move to Venezuela. You see, we don't wanna talk about this in church, do we? Because you're getting political. I'm not getting political. I'm telling you the truth is that when you don't work, guess what? You know what kids deserve that don't work? Nothing. Because adults that don't work don't have anything either. So we're not teaching them a simple principle that the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. That may seem harsh to you, but guess what? It's very motivating to wanna eat. Why is that bad? You can get mad at me as you want, but let me tell you something. If you're living on someone else's money, it's never enough. I'm not trying to, trying to keep you limited. Well, you're limiting my life. No, I'm not. It's just not enough. There's no way to provide enough for you unless you use your own hands. You have the ability to provide for you and your family. God wants to bless you, but the truth is for you to do that at a high level, you're gonna have to work. It's good. It's a good thing. The truth is, is that it shouldn't be easy in life. In fact, this may surprise you, but I believe it's God's will for you to do the hard thing. In fact, most of the things that really work in life, they're not easy. You think it's easy to be married for 30, 40 years? No, you gotta put work in. You wanna have a great career? You gotta put work in. You wanna be the best at something? You gotta put work in. Whatever it is that you wanna do, you've gotta make sure that you apply work to it. This is something we've gotten away from, but you study the word of God and work ethic is all over it. God wants us to put in the work. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm all about caring for people who are broken and we should absolutely help people out when they're hurting. But that doesn't mean that we're responsible for them, we're responsible to them. We are responsible for ourselves, which means that we need to be willing to put in the work. This is unpopular today. Wow, I'm not getting any amens, what a surprise. The truth is, is that we need to hear this. I wanna tell you something, it's supposed to be hard. Because how do you grow? You grow when you face hard things. We call my parents' generation the greatest generation in America. You know why? Because they did it hard. Because it wasn't easy. They built factories. They built neighborhoods. They freed the entire world from tyranny. That was not easy to do. There was great sacrifice and blood was spilt. Where are the hard workers? We need to be willing to work hard. And I may sound like your daddy or your granddaddy, but maybe God needs someone to speak up and be a father to people and say, the reason you don't have more is because you're not working harder. If you want more, put in the work. Somebody get excited. We need to put in the work. Don't be afraid to put in the work. I wanna challenge you. You wanna grow close to God? Get in his word. You put in the time. You put in the time in your prayer life, and guess what? Jesus is right there. Oh, I feel like God's far away. Who do you think moved? You wanna draw close to Jesus? Then draw close to him. You wanna know the Lord? Then call out his name. If you'll do that, you will draw close, but we forget that even great relationships with God require us to work. 
How did he get to us? He sent his son. You don't think there was work involved in that? Have you read about the cross? There was great sacrifice made. You will not achieve greatness in your life without sacrifice. And if you do, then it's a cheap fraud. Real greatness requires time, effort, putting in the hard time, being willing to sacrifice. You want greatness in your life? Sacrifice, that's all it's gonna cost you. That's it. Well, pastor, I mean, you, Jesus, you say that from this big old church. Oh yeah, this was just a quick 21 years. <laughs> we forget that everything worth anything requires time. God wants to do great things through us, but sometimes the way God does great things through us is by going against what we want. The Apostle Paul's greatness happened because he kept staying faithful while in prison. Hey, prisoner, you don't think God can use you? God used the Apostle Paul from behind bars. You think he's done with you? Not even close. He's got a will for you, a purpose for you, and a destiny for you, and you can do it right from behind bars. He's not done with you. He's not even close to done with you. Oh, I'm fired up today. I am. I'm telling you right now. Hey, listen, I want to stop right now. Next week, I want to encourage you to be here. And let me tell you why. We're doing a series called Crushed. I'm so excited. In fact, it ties into what we're talking about right now. It ties directly to this because Jesus went, we always think about the cross, but on the way to the cross, he went through something called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he literally sweat drops of blood. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about what he went through and the anguish. What do you do when the enemy's throwing everything at you? Because we forget there's someone else in that garden. The devil was there too. You ever felt like the devil's in your garden? Don't miss next week as we unpack that. Check this out. Guys, I can't stress to you enough the need to be here next week and to bring someone with you. And let me tell you why. Next week is not for people who have it together. Next week is for people who are falling apart. Next week is for people who are hurting. Next week is for people who feel the world on their shoulders and they don't have a solution. Next week is for you. Don't miss it. I'm so excited. Next week, I'm just going to drive my car straight on the stage, get out and start preaching. I'm telling you, don't <laughs> miss next week. Would you do that? Will you be here next week? Please be here. It may be, it may be the most important sermon you hear in five years. I'm not kidding. I'm so excited about it. It may be the best thing coming out of my mouth in the next five years. I'm don't miss next week about crush because I think everyone faces this in their life at some point. And maybe you're in the middle of hell right now being rained down on you. Congratulations, you're closer to your destiny than ever. But you gotta learn how to handle that. Be here next week as we talk about that. Okay, I'm gonna dive right back in. I, I'm super excited because I, I'm gonna go pretty quick on the next two points, and let me tell you why. It's because I believe God's trying to do business with you right now. I believe God's trying to get something to you and through you and in you right now. And the second lie that we fall for oftentimes is this, God has forgotten me. We think somehow maybe the Lord just forgotten me because it hasn't happened yet. It, whatever that expectation is that you have, hasn't happened yet. Look at Genesis chapter 40. This is Joseph. Joseph uh, is, is being used of God while he's in prison. We got a theme going on here, don't we? And so he's being used of God in prison. In fact, he goes, remember, he, he has this dream God gives him. And how does God get his dream accomplished? By not giving what he wants. He gets thrown into slavery from his brothers. So much for trusting people, right? 
Now he gets thrown into slavery, and he ends up getting bought by a guy named Potiphar, who was a very powerful man with a crazy wife. Bad combination to work for that, right? And so he's working hard. He turns his whole business around, his whole household around, and his wife decides to go for Joseph. He says no. She accuses him of rape. And, of course, are they going to believe a slave? No. So they throw him in prison. Now he's in prison. And so while he's in prison, a couple of guys show up. This is the king's prison. It's the bottom of the dungeon. And so while he's there, he doesn't realize he just got closer to God's destiny that God had for him when he was thrown into prison. He just thought, all I see is prison. But what God saw was, I just scooted you over to the house of the king because that's where you're going to be serving eventually. So now he's at the bottom rung. Don't be afraid to get at the bottom rung, even below the bottom rung if you're in the right spot. It's okay. Just serve where you are. And so that's what he did. Even though he was falsely accused, he began to serve. He began to make a difference. He cleaned the whole prison up. So now he went from learning how to, to clean up a small business in a home to cleaning up and organizing a large prison. So his, his capacity is increasing. Remember, that's our word for the year. Let your capacity increase. And so now at this point, the king throws two of his closest people into the prison. He's mad at them. Kings get that way, get sensitive like that. And so when that happens, they both have a dream. They come to Joseph and say, hey, we heard you interpret dreams. He says, yeah, tell me your dreams. I'll interpret it. They both tell him their separate dreams. One of them, he says, I really hate to break it to you, but in three days, you're going to be killed. So the guy's, of course, freaking out. And he says, the other one, after he hears his dream, well, i got good news for you. In three days, you're going to be reinstated to your position. So sure enough, that happens. Three days later, one is killed. The other one's reinstated position. As the one who's being reinstated leaves the prison, Joseph says, hey, 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 real quick, let me just say one thing. And then he says this. He says, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. And then he says this, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did not, but I did nothing to deserve it. Can I tell you something right now about that? We all have a story. There are no exceptions to this rule. We all have a story. And if you stay parked and focused on your story of betrayal and pain and what happened to you, you will not get where God wants you in life. Have your story and keep working. Have your story and stay faithful. Do not use your story as an excuse. So he shared a story. He said, hey, I shouldn't even be here. Here's what happened. He told a story real quick. He said, but hey, remember me. Guess what happened? That guy forgot Joseph. You imagine how frustrating that must have been? He's like, are you serious? Like I help you out in your dark moment, you just forget me? Ever been there? You ever felt just like you just were forgotten? A lot of people felt this way in the Bible, by the way. Genesis 8 says, but God remembered Noah. Noah, I'm sure, felt forgotten while he was building an ark. His friends were like, what are you building? I'm building a boat. For what? They were like, what's a boat? They're like, well, it's to float on water. They're like, why do you need to float on water? And they're like, well, you know, because it's going to flood. They were like, what's a flood? They'd never had a flood before. So they're thinking, what is this about? So he had to stay faithful, and God remembered him. Genesis chapter 30, it says, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Maybe some of you right now are trying to get pregnant, and you can't. I hope you're not 16, by the way, trying to get pregnant, and you can't, but... <laughs> For those of you who are, you know, 30, 35, and you're thinking, Lord, I feel like my, my clock is ticking here, God, and this is really becoming, it used to be a, 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 a nuisance, annoying, and now it just breaks your heart every time someone else says, we're pregnant. And you're thinking, you gotta be kidding me. God, you're giving everyone around me babies, but, but, but me and, and my marriage. Maybe that's you. And God wants to tell you today, he remembered Rachel. He'll remember you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He has his perfect timing. Also, it says the Lord remembered Hannah in 1 Samuel. Same issue. She wanted a baby. It says in Psalm 105, he remembered his holy promise to his servant Abraham. God gave Abraham a promise of a future land, a promised land. We even call it the promised land. God has given you promises what he's going to do in your future. And just because it hasn't happened yet, God is trying to say to you today, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. The key word of faith is yet. 
I haven't got married yet. The business hasn't boomed yet. My prayer life hasn't taken off yet. My walk with God has not become all can become yet. My marriage is not straightened out yet. My teenager hasn't come back to God yet. I haven't gotten out of this debt yet. The key word yet gives you faith, puts hope in the fact that God is not done. God remembers you. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows what's going on. Psalm 136 says, he remembered us when we were in trouble. His love continues forever. Isn't that good news? God has not forgotten you. Jeremiah was a prophet. And if you say the prophets of old, the, the hard thing, it's like we look at them and we're like, oh, they're a prophet of God. That's great. But, but there's, their, their message was almost always horrible. I mean, God's like, hey, Jeremiah, go tell the people of Israel, I'm going to crush them all. He's like, can you give me another message today, please? I mean, that's not exactly what you want to go deliver. You know, like today's message is pretty tough. You know, I mean, this is not like super positive and yay. I mean, like, wow, okay, this is, this is truth. God wants me to do some hard things. And God doesn't always seem to come through in the timing I want but you gotta stay faithful. Doesn't mean God's not there. Doesn't mean he doesn't remember you. Look what it says to Jeremiah. Jeremiah actually says this to God first. He says, your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. You ever felt that way? God, I know you can help me, but I feel like you've just kind of gone dry with me. I mean, I just, I've been asking for this and you're not coming through. I haven't got the promotion. I haven't got the raise. I haven't found the woman or man of my dreams. I, I haven't had this happen yet. I, I've been promised this by you, but it hasn't been delivered. And then God responds to Jeremiah. He says this, the Lord responds, if you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. Oh, apparently what we say when we don't have what we want tells our faith. What you speak when things are not going well reveals what's really in your heart. Will you stay faithful to God and speak positive of him and praise him when things aren't going well? Will you worship God when things aren't going well? Let me say it again. Will you worship God when things aren't going well? You're in the house of God today. Will you worship God when things aren't going well? Will you worship God when things aren't going well? It seems simple, but it speaks of our faith. He says this, you must influence them. Do not let them influence you. I think every teenager needs to take stock in that verse right there. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. Wow. Well, Pastor, I know you're talking to me right now, but I don't feel like I fit in my junior high or my high school or my college. It's just really hard. You're not supposed to fit in. How can you lead if you fit in? You're not supposed to be accepted by the crowd. The only way to be accepted by the crowd today is to be doing all stupid stuff. So I hope you don't get accepted. I hope you don't fit in. I hope you're different. You're not supposed to fit in. I was driving to work, to church the other day, and, and, uh, which happens in my work too, and as I was driving up um, down Weber Road, those, we have campus all over. That's a road right by our, our, our broadcast facility here. And as I was driving up, it was early in the morning, and there was fog everywhere. In fact, it was so thick, I slowed down, and I was like, wow, this, I can't see anything. And as I pulled up, I could see the Church Unlimited sign on Weber, but when I looked to the right of it, I couldn't see the church at all. I was like, wow, it's like it's not even there. I mean, the fog was so thick I couldn't even see the destiny and purpose that God has for my life. I couldn't even see it. I was like, wow. You ever been that way in your life? Is the fog so thick in your life you can't even see your destiny and purpose in front of you? Anyone ever had that? According to the Bureau of Statistics in Washington, they've discovered that a seven block radius of 100 feet thick fog, it, once it's condensed, is actually one glass of water. One glass of water is stopping you from everything. Could it be that you have overemphasized your problem in front of you so much that you can't see that there's a God on the other side of it? 
The Bible says, oh, magnify the Lord. It doesn't say, oh, magnify my problem. Oh, magnify my divorce. It was bad enough. Why are you magnifying it? Oh, magnify the breakup. Oh, magnify my betrayal. Oh, magnify my bad financial situation. Oh, magnify how hurt I am. Oh, ma no. Instead, again, we all have our stories. Magnify the Lord anyways. If you'll do that, you'll realize whatever's in front of you that you think is just totally stopping you, it's a glass of water. It's a glass of water. It's not stopping you at all. It's the one glass of water turned into 60 billion particles but it's still just one glass of water. Don't let that stop you from what God has for you. God has not forgotten you. Last thing is this, last one. Would you write this down? Number three, this is one of the biggest ones we fall for. Here's a, here's a lie. So if you kept up with me, the first lie is it's just too hard to do the right thing. It's not, you can do it. The second lie is God has forgotten me when he has not forgotten you. And then the third lie that we oftentimes fall for is my sin won't hurt me or anybody else. My sin won't hurt me. Everybody else, all oh, got quiet in the house of God again, didn't it? The truth is this, is that our sin always hurts us and hurts others. There's no exceptions to this rule. Now, you may think, well, man, you're really coming at me hard. I mean, I thought you were this positive preacher that was gonna motivate me and get me excited. You know what? Here's the truth, is that I'm not doing any favors if I don't tell you the truth. I'm just, I'm just not. If you go to a doctor, I had a friend of mine that recently went to a doctor, and uh, the doctor said, hey, we need to talk. You need uh, heart surgery, and you need it now like this month, like we're not putting this off because you have a leaky valve and that can eventually kill you. Well, I'm sure he, what if he would have said to the doctor, you're really negative. I don't, I, you know, I just, I, th I can't believe you're so negative towards me. That's just so rude. Why can't you speak positive things in my life? I just don't receive that. You know, can you imagine how foolish that would be? And, and then he just drops dead, right? So actually it's the loving thing for me today to say today is a day you don't realize we're not putting this off, but today is your heart surgery. We're doing spiritual heart surgery on you today because you need it and I'm here to tell you that we're not gonna put this off because I love you. You have a leaky valve. What's causing it to leak? Sin, a choice you're making, an iniquity. You know what iniquity is? Iniquity is a sin you discontinue in. You just keep doing it. You're like, I mean, I know it's wrong, but ah, I can't stop. Oh, that's a lie we already debunked, didn't we? That when you say I can't, you can, you're just making a choice. But one of the biggest lies we fall for is, well, this doesn't hurt anyone but me, or this doesn't hurt anyone. I mean, I mean, my wife or my husband, they don't even know. My kids don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just my, I can do what I want to do. It's my body, my choice, it's my life, right? We say that to ourselves, don't we? Well, I mean, I'm looking at some stuff online, but my spouse doesn't know. It's not hurting my marriage. You really believe that? You don't think this is hurting your marriage? You don't think that there's things in the unseen world that are released when you sin, just like there's things in the unseen world that are released when you obey, that comes back to hurt you? You think you can give your all to someone when you know you're lying to them every single day, living in deceit? You think that's not hurting your marriage? Are you crazy? You think it's not hurting your children? You think they don't see the things you do rather than what you say? They see it. And again, I'm not trying to be brutal. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help you understand something that you need to make a change because if you don't, it's gonna cost you more than you think. God has a future for you and it does not involve that sin. Where God wants to take you, that choice can't go with you. You have to let it go. You have to be willing to, to say, okay, I know I need to change. Look at the scripture says in Numbers chapter 32, not a popular scripture, but look what it says. If you sin against the Lord, be sure your sin will catch up with you. Ouch. Be sure, that means there are no exceptions to this rule. It will catch you eventually. In fact, look at Numbers chapter 32 in the ESV translation. It says, be sure your sin will find you out. James 1.15 puts it this way, evil desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully matured, in other words, if you don't change, 
brings forth, brings forth death, death to a marriage, death to a career, death to good finances, death to faith, death to hope, death to your life. You don't think drugs kill people? Are you kidding me? Do you know how many people thought they weren't addicted that I've buried in my life? Do I need to tell you the stats on that? We have an epidemic problem, and it's not outside the church, it's in the church too. Let's not kid ourselves. We have an epidemic problem with divorce. We have an epidemic problem with sin. And so God wants us instead to live differently. There's a story of a, of a couple that went to a chicken, a place that serves chicken to eat, and it was one of those fast food kind of places. And, and uh, this place in particular had kind of a habit that they would do. The assistant manager would always gather all the cash up about midday and put it in a box. They would count it, two people, just for accountability, put it in a box, and then the assistant manager would take that box to the bank and deposit it. That's kind of what they did. Well, they got busy, and it was midday. It was time to do that. The cash register was almost full, so they needed to do it, but they were still busy. So they counted up the money, and they, they both agreed to the number, and they, they put the, the cash in the box, set the box aside, and kept serving people. Well, one of the workers did not catch that box, what it was, and they actually gave that particular box that was supposed to be full of chicken to, to a couple. So this couple had all of the earnings of that place for half of the day, which is thousands of dollars. So they leave, and, and at this point, the assistant manager and the other workers are freaking out. They cannot find, where's that box? Oh, I put it right there. Wait, right there? Oh, oh, oh you got to be kidding me. So they're freaking out. This couple comes back about 20 minutes later. They walk up and say, hey, uh, I think this, I don't think you guys meant to give us this. Untouched, gave the box back. The assistant manager is blown away. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you just saved my career. You saved my job. You just saved this company thousands of dollars. You guys are unbelievable. I can't believe you did this couple sitting there. Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. Just give us your chicken. Here's the box. And, and, and the system manager just insisted, no, oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. Please, if you don't mind, I just want to get your picture quick. I'd love to call the local paper. I, this just doesn't happen. People just don't do this today. It's so great that you did this. Can I just get, get your picture? He pulls out their phone. They're like, no, 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 no pictures. We're fine. No, no, just, it'll just be a quick shot. Please, if you'll just, no, 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 please, no pictures. No, come on. Just, just, no, please stop. Do not take our picture. What, what, what? I'm sorry, am I offending you? And the guy says, this isn't my wife. Isn't it funny how we have integrity over here and lack it over there? How we know how to make the right choice here while living with the wrong choice there. Today's heart surgery day. Today's the day we cut that out. Today is your day. God chose this day. You didn't know it was coming, but he knew. And he loves you enough to warn you. He loves you enough to tell you it's time to do business because if you don't, this is going to kill you. This will hurt you for generations. Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon that was very popular back in the day, but in today's day and age, it'd be pretty unpopular. His sermon was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You think, wow, I don't think I want to go to that message anytime soon. That doesn't sound very nice. But God used that message powerfully. That one message brought revival to a nation. Did you know that? Jonathan Edwards eventually got married a girl named Sarah. Jonathan and Sarah Edwards had children, and they were committed to raising their children to understand the power of sin and the power of God. This may surprise you, but the Bible actually says that fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. This may surprise you today, but if you really want to walk with God, you need to be afraid of him. We don't talk about that in church today, do we? I love my dad. My father's dear to me. He'll be in the next couple services. I love my father dearly, but when I was young, I feared him. I did not fear him because he was going to hurt me. I feared disappointing him. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? 
I feared my father, and there was multiple times when I was a teenager thinking, I need to get home. My dad would kill me if he knew what I was about to do. And that fear protected me because my dad loved me enough to also punish me if I needed it. Your heavenly father is like that in, in a much better way than we can possibly be as, even as earthly fathers. There's nothing wrong with that. Jonathan and Sarah Edwards feared the Lord, and out of them, out of their marriage, four generations later, here's what came out of their, their marriage. I just want to just read this off to you. Out of four generations, from their children to their grandchildren to their great-grandchildren, here's what happened out of that. Out of that group came 100 missionaries. Came 100 lawyers. Those cancel out, by the way, 100 missionaries. But just a joke. 80 public office holders, 65 judges, 30, uh, excuse me, 65 professors and 30 judges, 13 college presidents are their descendants, three mayors, three governors, three U.S. senators, and one U.S. vice president. Wow, just honoring God. Isn't it amazing what can happen with your kids if you honor God? Oh, my sin doesn't affect, oh, yes, it does. And your righteousness affects the next generation too. Let me, let me counter that. In 1877, there was a man working at a New York prison he discovered that there were 42 inmates with the same last name. He was shocked by that number. He thought, there's no way they could all be related. He found out that they were all related, almost every one of them. And so he did a multi-year study on these inmates and their relatives, and he found that it all started with a guy named Max Jukes. You can Google this if you'd like, Max Jukes. Go ahead. Max Jukes was a guy who was a partier. He did whatever he wanted. He ran around with women. He did all kinds of crazy things. He drank all the time. He did whatever he wanted to do in excess and didn't care about anyone that's my life. I'm going to do what I want. He didn't care what anyone else thought. He had some descendants. He had children. And out of his descendants, four generations, there were 400 that had addictions there were 310 that were totally broke paupers living on the street. 130 of them were convicts. 50 women in his downline were prostitutes, selling their bodies for money. 60 were thieves, and seven became murderers. You have a choice to make. It's not about you. It's about you and the next generation. So I want to ask you right now, all of our campuses, to stand to your feet. And as we take a moment, I think God's doing some heart surgery today. And I want to open up the altar to all of our campuses right now, and I want to invite you to come forward and throw yourself before our Heavenly Father who loves you. Because I've got some great news. You may think, man, this just seems so harsh, and I'm a sinner in the hand of an angry God. No, you're a sinner in the hand of a God who loves you so much you sent his son Jesus. Because it also says in Scripture, therefore now there is no condemnation in Jesus. He forgives us. He renews us. It's about his grace, his goodness. And so today, come receive that grace. Come receive his goodness and throw yourself before the Father today and say, God, I need to admit that I need heart surgery. And so I confess my sin to you now. All campuses right now, will you obey God? Will you honor the Lord? And will you come forward and get your heart right with God? Oh, I'm a volunteer. I've been coming to church a long time. What are people gonna think? Who cares what people think? What does God think? What does God think? Is your ego that big? Maybe we need to shrink our ego and let God take over. Come to the Lord today. Repent, be broken, be willing to say, God, I need to make a change for my marriage, for my family, for the next generation. Someone needs to get their heart right with God right now. It's time. It's time to obey God. All campuses right now, God sees you in the back row there at Rod Field. God sees you in the back row there at Rockport. Yeah, your city may be damaged, but how's your heart? How's your heart? The storm has given you enough excuse. Get your heart right with God. Come on, somebody needs to honor God today. Someone needs to get it right. It's heart surgery day. We're not gonna put this off. 
God wants to take care of some things in you right now. You come forward. You obey God. You do God's work. Someone needs, right from their seat, just praise God. Someone just needs to say, God, I'm just going to lift my hands to you in the middle of my heartache. I'm not going to believe you've forgotten me. I know you haven't forgotten me. Someone needs to recognize we've been living with lies. God has a better way. God has a better plan for all of us. He loves us enough to warn us. He loves us enough to give us an opportunity to change. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, as we pray, maybe you've fallen for the lie that says, God, it's just too hard to do the right thing. Maybe it's time to say, God, I can do this. I, I, I can do this through Christ. I can, I can make a different choice today. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, God wants you to make that change. Oh, my sin doesn't affect anyone else. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. God, I want to do the right thing for you. I want to do the right thing for myself. And I want to do the right thing for my kids. I want to make a different choice. If your head bowed and your eyes closed, you never committed your life to Christ, you can receive him right now. I'm praying a very simple prayer. You can pray this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so...